Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. I love those stories, and that's why we're here. That's why we're celebrating is that Jesus is alive and this isn't just a history lesson this is something that still is changing lives today so I'm Doug I'm one of the pastors here and it's really good to have you guys here you guys got cleaned up nice you got here got here on a Sunday morning it looks great so you guys watching this live stream too it's great to have you with us so I also want to just expand your horizons here that it's not just us here in Iowa City but literally people millions and millions of people all around the world are gathering for the same event that we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ and so one tradition that you see there's this is being celebrated in many different ways but one thing that hits many of those cultures is that a leader or a pastor up front will say he is risen and then you guys like everybody else kind of shouts back he is risen indeed so let's kind of join in with everybody around the world doing that so eight o'clock was good you guys they had about half of you guys and they had to clear their throats it's early morning but they let it rip so I want to hear you guys let it you have no excuse it's 9 30 okay you got that extra hour for your voice so let's let it, let it rip he is risen he is risen that's awesome you guys and so that is the hope of the Christian faith. In fact, the Bible is very honest, and it says that if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, then we're a bunch of fools. Like, we have no hope because we are still dead in our sins. We have no hope of knowing God. But because Christ is risen, we, we have that hope. And so we celebrate that today. And this whole month of April, we've been doing a series called Before and After Easter. We've been walking through the life of Jesus you know, through the trials and the cross today, celebrating the empty tomb. Next week, we'll talk about the ascension. What does it mean that Jesus went up to heaven? What's he doing today? There's some amazing things there about what Jesus is doing. And then the last Sunday of April, we're looking at the return of Christ. So a lot of Jesus this month, which is a good thing. But that title before and after is not just about chronology, you know, about what did Jesus go through, but it's also about what happens to us that when you really look at the story of the resurrection, it'll change your life. And the reason Jesus did all this wasn't just to be an interesting character in history. So we look at the life and Jesus go, wow, that's pretty cool what he did. But it's more than that, he did that to change our lives. And so we're gonna look at a character in the Bible that I think could be exhibit A on that. And his name is Peter. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was one of the disciples. He was a leader of the disciples, and he had a front row seat to this whole before and after Easter story, and God did an amazing flip in his life. In fact, towards the end of his life, he was writing a letter to some other Christians describing his experience with Christ, and he said this, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, and I want you guys to get that. This isn't just history. This isn't just something we're hoping is true. Like this is something that when people see the resurrected Christ, things happen in their lives. And so I want to pray and actually invite you into a time of prayer because you went through a lot to get here this morning and look as good as you do. Like you had to go through a lot. And I just want to make sure you've had a moment to just pause and to invite God to speak to you today, okay? So let's just do that. Let's just have a quiet time of prayer here. And just in this, in this silence, just from your heart, just ask God, God, would you teach me something 
new about the resurrection today? Would you teach me something new about the life you are offering me through Jesus? Just pray that. And then could you pray for me that I would be as clear as I can be, that I would help point you to Jesus and what he's done for us. Just pray for me. God, I thank you that you're with us. I thank you that you heard our prayers. I thank you that you can see our hearts and you know what we need to hear. Give us ears to listen, God, and help us put the truth into practice. Change us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so here's kind of our anchor passage in the Bible we're going to look at today. It's in the book of 1 Peter. We're going to look at chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. And this, again, is a letter that Peter wrote towards the end of his journey with Christ, towards the end of his life. And he's going to really point us to three gifts that we can cling to through the resurrection today. So Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter, like I said, is writing this letter to a group of Christians. Those Christians are going through a very difficult time. They have been scattered from their homelands because of their faith. It's a lot of like what you look at happening in the Middle East today. How many believers in Christ are being persecuted and scattered from their homelands simply because of their faith? And you can imagine these people are asking, is this worth it? Or what kind of hope do we have in Christ if this is what's happening to us. And so you see that those three verses we just read are just loaded with promises that, that Peter wanted these folks to cling to. Same promises that we can cling to today. We may not be living as refugees, but there are a lot of battles that we're facing. And so these are truths that we can cling to as well. The first gift from Easter, uh, from the resurrection, is that God is a God who has great mercy. Okay, great mercy. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has shown us great mercy. So if you were to ask Peter, okay, Peter, what was it like in that week, uh, that, that amazing week in the life of Christ, where he went through the trials, went through the cross and the resurrection? What stands out to you, Peter? And I think, unfortunately, one thing that might roll off Peter's lips would be his epic fail. Then, in the midst of this glorious week, he had probably one of the biggest epic fails that you'll see in the whole Bible, okay? So on the timeline, it would have been like Thursday night where Jesus was celebrating the Passover feast with his disciples. And it was in that context that Peter starts shooting his mouth off, like, Jesus, I'm going to die for you. Jesus, if you go to prison, I'm going to go with you. I'm just going to be there for you. And Jesus just looked at him and said, you know what, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. And in spite of that warning, what Jesus said actually came out, came to be. And that Peter denied that he even knew Jesus Christ three different times. The last time he did it, the rooster crowed. And the Gospel of Luke tells us that he caught eyes with Jesus. Can you imagine the guilt, the shame, the feeling of failure? And what I love about the Bible is that it's very, very real about its characters. That Peter's one of the heroes of the Bible and yet it shows us his epic fail. 
And we can relate to that because wouldn't this be a horrible thing if, what if we just started rolling video of our epic fails in our lives? I mean, good night. We'd all be under our chairs, right? Just kind of slinking down and in the guilt and shame. And so, but in the midst of that, Peter says, one of the gifts that God revealed to me through the whole resurrection was that he is a God of great mercy. He's a God of great mercy. As you continue with the Easter story, I cannot imagine what that Friday and Saturday would have been like for Peter, that if you've had those moments of epic fail, the longer that lingers, you just, you just feel crushed by your failure. And so that went all Friday, all Saturday, until Sunday morning, there were some female followers of Christ that went to the tomb and they went to the tomb to anoint the body with spices. Jesus' body was buried in such a rush that it didn't go through all the processes that it would have normally been done to dignify a body. And so they were there to do that. But as they approached the tomb, they saw the stone was rolled away. And one of the angels told them, he is risen. He's no longer here. And then in Mark 16, 7, there was a statement that the angel made to, to the women. And they said this, but go tell his disciples and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you notice the special emphasis on Peter? I might have flipped that the other direction. Go tell the disciples, but don't tell Peter, that moron, he, let the, you know, he dropped the ball, he let me down. Like, there wasn't any of that. Go tell the disciples, and would you, would you especially tell Peter that I want to see him, that, that I want to meet with him again? And as you go through this story, Jesus did that. And you see at least a couple different meetings in the scripture. And there isn't a beat down, there isn't a shout down, but you see Jesus accepting Peter, showing love to Peter, affirming Peter that you are still on this team, you're still my guy, you're still leading this movement. What an amazing, what an amazing experience of grace. And so I, I just want us to understand that because sometimes some of the saddest things I hear as a pastor when people come to church, I've heard it in the last month. I've heard it a couple times. I was like, oh, pastor, if you knew what I did, you know I shouldn't be here. You know, one guy even said, I'm surprised I'm not a pile of ashes right now, like with who I am and I'm in this place. And I just want to assure all of us that, um, like I said, Peter's one of the heroes of the Bible and we see epic fail. Like you are in the presence right now of a room filled with epic fails, all right? And we can, you've heard me say this before if you've been around me much. I'll put myself number one in that slot. I don't know all you guys. I don't know all the things you've done wrong or thought wrong. I've lived with me for my whole life. And so I'm number one sinner in this room. You guys can all fight for number two, all right? So let me just say this. This is the exact place we need to be. That if we're aware of our epic fail, we need to be in the presence of a God who is merciful. And so I think sometimes our problem might be that we're not aware uh, of, of how needy, how broken, how sinful we are. Because sometimes we do a really good job of seeing it in everybody else, but not in, in ourselves. But Peter would say one of the amazing gifts of this whole resurrection story is that we have a God who is merciful. So the good news, the gospel, the front half of that is that we are more broken and we are more sinful than we could ever imagine. Okay, even Peter in that epic fail, that was just scratching the surface. There was so, there's so much sin, there's so much brokenness in his life. And yet God extended, God extended great mercy to him. In fact, at the end of his life, again, look what, look what Peter said in 1 Peter 5.10, that the God of all grace who has called you to eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, 
strengthen, and establish you. Isn't that awesome? So if your story this morning is like, I don't know what I'm, I don't belong here. Everybody else here has got it together, not me. No, no, no. You are in the right place because you're in the presence of a God who is merciful, who Peter says he himself personally will restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, establish you. It's one of the gifts of Easter is we have a God who's great in mercy. Second one is that we have a God who loves to give new life. He doesn't just accept us where we're broken, but he does something about that brokenness. He gives us new life. So Peter said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So one of the gifts of the resurrection is that there is new life. Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. Jesus died to make dead people come alive. And when the Bible describes our condition before God, it says we are spiritually dead. And so we don't need just a tweak or a fixer up here um, or a little life hack and then we're good. Like we need a total redo. Like we are spiritually dead. We need to be made alive. And so that's one of, the, one of the gifts again is that Jesus came to make dead people come to life. Spiritually dead to experience spiritual life. So if you continue Peter's story, he hears that message from the women. They come find the disciples and they said, hey, Jesus is alive. He, he said uh, that he's risen. He wants to meet you in Galilee. Peter, he even said it to you. He wants you to know that. And so he's just heard that message. And then let's see what Peter did next. You go to John's gospel for that, John chapter 20, verse 3. It says that Peter went out with the other disciple. And so whenever you're reading in John, you see that the other disciple, that's John. He just, for some reason, doesn't insert his name into the gospel. If it's humility, just kind of wants to stay in the background. But anytime the gospel of John, you see the other disciple or the disciple that Jesus loved. That's, the, that's John, okay? So Peter and John went running towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I kind of like that little dig there. John's saying, I got there first. You know, like, so Peter's a little chunky, a little out of shape, had the wrong sandals on, you know. I beat him. Like, I got there first, so had to do that little dig. So I got to the tomb first. And he says, and stooping to look in, uh, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he didn't go in. So John gets to the tomb and is kind of doing one of this look around and see, see what's going on in there. And if you know Peter, <laughs> Peter doesn't just look around. Peter charges in. So it says, then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb. I don't know if he shoved John aside, but he got in there. Okay, first, I'm first one in the tomb. Maybe that was the deal. You know, it was two. It was in, not to the tomb. It was in the tomb, whatever. So Peter goes in. Uh, following him, and he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, uh, but folded up in a place by itself. Because there's, there's a word there that takes some digging into here a little bit, where it says, Peter, it says that Peter saw the linen cloths. There were a couple of Greek words, the Greek New Testament, that we get our translations from. There's one word that would have meant just a common, like he saw it, he observed it, and that's probably our most common use of the word saw. But this one was the word theareo, which means an investigation, to really look and to theorize. So this was an intent look to try to put some pieces together. And so it says he theareo, or he theorized when he saw the linens lying there. And he was trying to piece it together. What happened? Because most of us are probably not familiar with burial traditions in this time. But 
if you were a grave robber, so they're trying to come up with a reason. Why is, why is the body gone? If you were a grave robber, the linens would have been something you would have taken. The linens were very valuable. And if there had been spices anointing the body, those would have been very valuable. So a grave robber would have taken the linens, not left the linens. Okay, so he's doing a little CSI right here. He's like, okay, so whoever took, if Jesus' body was taken, it wasn't taken by a grave robber. And so then, well, then maybe, maybe this was one of the other disciples and they didn't tell us, or maybe this is one of the other followers of Christ. But then he's thinking through, but no, there's no way you would unwrap the body and then just carry the body. That, that would show no dignity, no respect for the body of the one you loved. And so he's like, well, who would, who would take it and leave the linens? And then I just think that the details are coming together and the message from the women, hey, the angel said that he's risen. And I think as he looked at the evidence, he said, this is, this is the only explanation. Jesus rose again from the dead. He even folded the little headcloth. Like he said, I don't know if Jesus was a neat freak, but I mean, it was all folded. I mean, he's putting, putting the pieces together. He's like, that's the only explanation. He's, he's alive. And guys, I love, that's a tone you'll see throughout the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it just shove it on you and say, hey, you just got to swallow the facts. Say, don't just shut your brain off and just believe the resurrection. No, there's a constant tone in the scripture that says, check it out and investigate it. And this is one of those many clues that you'll see throughout the resurrection story. That there are many evidences. It's not supposed to be a blind faith. And so if you've got some questions about all of this, about Christianity in general, you've got to dig into the resurrection. And I'll, I'll simplify your search. Like start with the resurrection, because if Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, this whole thing is a joke. The Bible says that, okay? It invites you to check and see that he really did rise again from the dead. The Bible gives us many, many facts that you can look into. Uh, one is it talks about how many people Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. He appeared up to 500 people at one time. And so, and, and there was no, there was never an explanation for, for what happened to the body of Christ. In that time when the movement of Christianity was spreading, if you wanted to shut it down fast, all you had to do was show a body and say, no, he didn't rise again from the dead. It's a joke, forget it. And so the Romans who were against this whole movement never produced a body. The Jewish religious leaders at the time who were against this didn't produce a body. There was never a body found because Jesus was alive. So um, we, this, this is the greatest gift of, you know, another gift of Easter is that, is that there's new life. That just like Jesus conquered death, conquered sin and death, it means we can too. As we put our faith in him, we can experience new life. First Peter 3.18 says that Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being alive, made alive in the spirit. So again, he didn't die to make bad people good. He died to bring dead people to life. And so this morning, that's a gift that God would love for you to have. He would love to, if there's some dead spots, like you heard Alex and Kelly describe in their marriage, God can bring, bring life into marriages, into relationships. But even on a grander scale, if there's just no life between you and God because of your sin, because of being separated from God, Jesus died to give you life, to give you new life with God, okay? So, so that's our second gift. The third one 
is this one that, that we have been, uh, that we are given a living hope. Okay, so he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So when you hear the word hope, sometimes we think of like the word wish. Like, like last night when it was raining during this service, you know, you could say, oh, I hope it doesn't rain today. Today's supposed to be a beautiful day. But when you say, I hope it doesn't rain, it means you kind of wish it doesn't rain. But when the Bible talks about hope, it means like a confidence, a something that's certain, something that you can bank your life on. And so the whole resurrection of Jesus from the dead means we have a living hope. Our hope is in a risen Savior. His promises aren't empty promises. He's alive and can fulfill those promises. In fact, that's our whole focus next week is that the ascended Jesus, the risen Jesus, is in charge of all things now. That's how we can really grow in our Christian lives now is that we have a living Savior, okay? So, so you need to have a certain hope to be able to face any challenge that's coming in your life. There was a guy named Jim Stockdale. He was the highest ranking military officer in the, during the Vietnam War that was held as a prisoner of war. And he was in a prisoner of war camp known as the Hanoi Hilton for eight years. He was severely tortured over 20 times. He had no clue about how long this would go. There was no end date of his imprisonment. It would just, from, from his perspective, there was no end in sight. But he was very, very prominent and has written and spoken about his ability to endure hardship. And he was interviewed, and they say, how did you do that? How did you stay strong and maintain hope in the midst of such, such horrible conditions? And he said this, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining moment of my life, which in, res in retrospect, I would not trade. But it was that certain hope at the end that helped him endure the, the, the persecution and the torture. And so then they asked him, well, who didn't make it? From your observation, all the other prisoners, who, who were the ones that caved in? And he said, that's easy. It was the optimists. It was the ones that were just hanging to, to kind of flimsy statements. Oh, we'll be out by Christmas. We'll be out by Easter. So when you're in tough situations, you need a certain hope. That's the whole, it's called the Stockdale Paradox, that you need to live in your moment, but you also need to, to grip something that is certain and true in your future. And so the gift of Easter is that we have a living hope, that we have a confidence that we can ground our lives on. Peter described it. It's an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so when you look at Peter's life after the resurrection, he was a totally different man because he had a totally different hope and confidence. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't timid. Uh, he didn't, you know, have to deny Christ anymore because he had a living hope. He saw a resurrected Christ. And if you look at the timeline of Peter's life, so he had those two meetings with Jesus. After the resurrection, Jesus affirmed his love for him, said, you're still my man, you're still in charge. In the book of Acts, he said, okay, Peter, I'm gonna ascend, I'm gonna leave to heaven. I want you to wait in Jerusalem and I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit. Peter does that, he waits, Jesus ascends. Jesus sends his spirit. Peter receives the Holy Spirit. You see a whole different man. In Acts chapter two, 
Peter gets up in front of a huge crowd, preaches his first sermon, 3,000 people believe. Not bad for a fisherman with no training, right? So 3,000. One time Caleb said, yeah, daddy's a way better preacher than you. Said, thanks a lot, Peter, or Caleb. So, so, but that's Peter's story, different man. And if you look through the gospel, look through the book of Acts, whenever, whenever Peter preached, he mentioned the resurrection. Like the resurrection was his main deal. Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. I mean, that was his hope. It's like if you're not a Cub fan and you've got a friend's Cub fan, you're tired of hearing about game seven. I know it was a great game. Like, great, stop talking about it. But like on a grander scale, you couldn't shut Peter up from talking about the resurrection because that was his new hope. And so there was one time even in Acts 4 where Peter's on trial in front of this group called the Sanhedrin. It was the same group that sentenced Jesus to be crucified to death. And Peter said this, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and common men, and they were astonished, and they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. In fact, if you look at all the disciples, their lives were just radically changed. Ten of the eleven uh, disciples gave their lives, saying they saw Jesus alive. They weren't afraid of death. They didn't back down on their message because Jesus was their living hope. He was their confidence. And so, again, I just, if, 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 uh, if all this Christianity stuff is new to you, if, if you need a place to begin to investigate, start with the resurrection. And for me, as a college student here at Iowa, I was raised in the Christian faith. My first semester at Iowa, I, I met a PhD student in philosophy who one night just totally shredded my faith. Like all my little answers I had about this and that, he totally took them apart. I remember going back to my dorm room that night just saying, did I just waste 18 years of my life? Is this stuff really true? And so it lit a fire under me to really begin to investigate on my own. And this was the piece of the story that really helped me put my faith back on a firm foundation was just looking at how radically different the disciples lived after the resurrection. Would 10 out of 11 people die for a lie or something that they made up or something that wasn't true? But the whole reason they flipped their lives is because they had a living hope. Their hope um, was now in the risen Jesus Christ. And so the resurrection changes everything. And I love, the, I love the video we saw at the beginning of this, that we saw each of the three gifts put on display in people's lives from our own midst. So we said that we have a God who has shown us great mercy, and Joe talked about that, that in spite of some of the paths he's taken in his life, he's now following Jesus Christ, who has shown him great mercy, and who has shown him a new path to walk. That the resurrection means that God gives us new life. And Kelly and Alex were very real about the dead spot in their marriage, that now God is breathing life into that. And I just love Darren's story there at the end about the hope that he has in seeing Peyton for all of eternity. We have, we have hope because of the resurrection. And Darren and Jen, I would consider them good friends now. And, but it was hard to believe that six months ago, I didn't even know them. And the way I got to know Darren and, and Jen was when a funeral home called me and said, uh, would you do a funeral for a family that's looking for a pastor? I walked into their home on a Monday morning. 
uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to say this. Jen's a good friend now. But the first thing she said to me was, uh, you just need to know I'm really mad at God. I've been mad at God for 16 years. It's like, good to meet you too. You know, so there's like eight of us in the room and I was just wondering in my head, how are we going to get back to that? Darren and I are hitting it off. We're talking about how to, how to honor Peyton's life, how to do a ceremony to just really honor this great kid's life and um, heard great stories that wherever he went, he made people laugh. He brought a lot of joy. And I am not smart enough to come up with this statement, but I was, you know how you can listen, but there's a part of your brain that's like praying and God, give me something for Jen. Give me something for Jen. And what he gave me was to say to Jen, you need to know that God is not mad at you. He understands your anger. He understands your hurt because God the Father had a son that came to this earth and lived a shorter life than he should have lived. He brought joy wherever he went, um, but his life was taken from him. And so the Bible says that God draws near to broken hearts. You need to know that God draws near to you. He's not angry at you. And she just started bawling. And she said, so he knows what it's like to lose his baby. Man, when she said that, we were all bawling right there. And from that conversation in the last six months, I've seen God do a miraculous, just a powerful work in Darren and Jen's life. Yesterday at one o'clock, um, a couple years ago, they, <laughs> they eloped for their 15 years ago. They got married in the Tunnel of Love in Las Vegas, right? So they always thought, hey, at our 15 year anniversary, let's invite our friends and let's do it right. That was already on their radar. But they came to me a couple months ago and said, hey, we wanna do that. I said, well, let's just treat it like premarital counseling. We'll just talk through what a marriage is. We'll do a 15 year tune up, right? So we just looked into it. We started reading the Bible. These guys have just been soaking up the, the, the gifts of the resurrection, that God is merciful, that God gives new life, and that God is our living hope. So yesterday at one o'clock, they stood up in front of all their friends, and they just said, we just want you to know that the last 15 years, God has been kind of around our marriage, but right now God is at the center of our marriage, that God is the one that we're building this relationship around because of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And it's a great, great, great demonstration of what God wants to do in all of our lives. I don't know your story. I don't know, but, but we prayed earlier. God does know your story. He does know where you need these gifts of the resurrection. So let me just pray. We'll, we'll wrap up our time praying here too. Let's just circle back. And just again, how, how in your life do you need the mercy of God this morning? Is there something you've done, something you've said, that right now you are just... You're just weighed down with shame and guilt. Can that gift of God's mercy set you free this Easter? Just ask for his forgiveness. He's a God rich and full, great in mercy. Confess, confess your sin to him. And he is a God who loves to forgive through Jesus Christ. So maybe it's that gift of mercy you need this morning to stop beating yourself up, to stop living in shame. Maybe it's the gift of new life. Maybe as Alex and Kelly were talking about their marriage, you sense that in yours. Maybe there's other relationships with a parent, with one of your kids, with a friend. It just needs life. The, the most important relationship that needs life is you and God, and, and Jesus came to do that. He came, he gave his life so that you could have life with God. And so maybe even this morning, you just gotta start there. God, I, I want a relationship with you. I want life with you. And Jesus died to give you that. That's a gift that maybe you received this morning. And then the gift of living hope. 
What's your last year been like? What, what have your nights been like? What are the fears that keep you awake? What are the things you just constantly replay? Doom and gloom. And just the, the opposite of living with hope and confidence. Jesus died to be a living hope. So maybe for you, it's like, God, I'm tired of living in fear and worry. I'm just going to trust. I'm going to trust you. You are my living hope. God, I thank you that you love us. When we asked you earlier to show us where we need your gift, that, that you're gracious, gracious and you'll show us. God, give us the courage to grab these gifts and to put them in practice in our lives. Thank you for the reality of the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Parkview Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's Word. For additional teaching, resources, podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.